Hello, everybody. Um, it's okay. I'd like to just open us up with praying really quick. Um, or maybe not really quick, but we'll find out. Father, you know what you want to do. Um, we ask that we could be complicit in it. And we be a part of it with you. Open our hearts. Um, give us something good to say. Help us listen. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, yeah, my name is Will. It's good to see you all here. Normally I do announcements, so this is a little weird for me. Um, giving the message. So I'll just start, dive right into it, and the clock starts now. Okay. So, um, so for this week, we've been going through the Bible, best story ever told, with a bunch of stories in the Old Testament, a bunch of stories in the New Testament, kind of giving you an overview of the whole story of the Bible, because it's not just like a bunch of little stories that aren't connected. Everything is very connected. I'm hoping we'll get to see some of that tonight. And the topic I got to talk about is the temple. Um, I don't know if you guys have paid any attention to somewhat recent Middle Eastern stuff that's been going on, but one thing that's always been the focus of controversy has been the Temple Mount um, in Jerusalem. There's a mosque built over it now, but before that, uh, there was actually a temple. That's why it's called the Temple Mount and not the uh, Mosque Mount. So, to take a look at why we have the temple, I want to cover two things tonight. One, like how we got the temple, like how the temple came about, what the plan for it was, like how, how we have it here. Um, and then the second part is the significance of the temple, because everything in the Bible is significant, no matter how small, no matter what detail. But the way that it's connected throughout this story from the Old Testament, uh, even before it was built, starting with David, and the New Testament, uh, when we get to Jesus, uh, it's, it's all very connected. And it's a beautiful picture that if we're looking too close, we'll miss it. Um, but if we see it with God vision, we'll see it. So we're going to start here. I'm going to open up my Bible. Yeah. So I'm just going to go over the story of how the temple came to be. So we've learned, who remembers what we talked about the very first week? Anybody remembers of the series? Luke. Boom. Creation. And then what happened after creation? The fall. What happened with the fall? Well, this is be more specific. Did I go like, ah, or sin, rebellion, from who, Cameron? Not that one. We're getting to that one, though. That one's, that one's pretty close. It was Adam and Eve that sinned when they ate the forbidden fruit. And then after that, God cast them out of the garden. And then who remembers what the next one was after that? I thought it was Abraham. Might have been Cain and Abel. But anyways, so then after that is Abraham. Cain and Abel, then Abraham. And then after Abraham, what do we get? Israelites go into exile. After Abraham, get, Abraham gets this promise. Uh, then they go into Egypt and become slaves there. And then who shows up? Moses. Moses. You guys are on fire tonight. Yep, Moses shows up. And God's like, hey, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt back into the promised land. And then that happens. There's some plagues. Some, some stuff happens. And then after that, where do they go? After they leave Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai. <laughs> yep, very good. And they sin and in the wilderness. And then eventually somebody takes them to the promised land. Anybody know who takes them to the promised land? Joshua. Joshua. Ten points, Cameron. 
All right. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and they conquer the land that God promised to Abraham way back in the day. And so this whole people group is following Joshua in, and Joshua points out to him, like, hey, we got to remember God. In all things, remember God. He gave us this law. Remember it. Well, what don't they do? Anybody? They don't remember that. In the book of Judges, it says that everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Um, and so there's a cycle of, anybody remember the cycle? Anybody look at that paper? Luke. Yeah, people would rebel, they'd follow their gods, God would send another nation go and conquer them, and then they'd be like, hey God, like this is terrible, we're sorry, and God would be like, okay, I'm going to send you a judge to like rescue you, and then also direct you the way I want you to go. And they would go with him, and it's like as soon as he died, like the very next generation, they're back to rebellion. And that cycle continued until eventually um, this guy named Samuel he had some sons, and uh, he's like, okay, they're going to be the next judges. Well, finally, the leaders of Israel are just like, no, we don't want these judges anymore. Like, your sons are pretty corrupt. You're great, but they're corrupt. We want a king. Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. Give us a king. And so Samuel's pretty broken up about this, but God tells him, like, listen, Samuel, they're not rebelling against you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so he gives him the king Saul, and Saul looks good from the get-go, and then he's not. And then God says, I'm picking another guy, and his name is David. And David is called a man after God's own heart. And so when David eventually becomes king and succeeds Saul, then David rules, um, rules very well for most of, his, most of his reign. He makes mistakes, some of which are recorded. Um, but towards the end of this reign, he's getting old, and he's saying, you know what, it's not right. That this promise God gave us, the sign of a promise, the Ark of the Covenant um, that God gave us is sitting in a tent, like an island in a palace. Like, we got to build a house for this thing because God's important to us. He's important to me. He's important to the entire nation. And so they, they, he starts putting plans together to build it. And the prophet Nathan at the time comes up to him and says, hey, uh, at first he says, do it. And then the next day he comes back and says, hey, actually, God just told me, don't do it. But God says he's going to build you a house. It's a good thing that you wanted to build this, but your son's actually going to be the one that builds it. And so the house of the Lord is the temple. Uh, and so after his son Solomon is coronated and becomes king over Israel, he begins work on the temple. And, I'm, and that's, that's how we got the temple. He, uh, he had some instructions from his father. And he put a spin on it. And what's really cool about the temple, I didn't know this until I was reading again, the entire thing was covered in gold. The entire building. If I read this right, it had a 150-foot ceiling. That's a lot of gold coating the entire building. It says it coated the, the door frames, the walls, the beams, everything that wasn't like something else he brought in later was covered in gold. That is a shiny building. Like, it's probably super heavy and very expensive. And that was the value that they placed on this. 
earlier, before they even started building, Solomon, the king that was going to go build the temple, he goes to the tabernacle, which is what Israel had before the temple. It was a tent, what is called the tent of meeting, where God would meet with the high priest and with Moses. And, and there's some other details there, but one of the things they had in there was the Ark of the Covenant. So Solomon goes up there, makes some sacrifices, and God says, what do you want from me? And, and Solomon says, I want wisdom to rule your people. And if we know anything about God, he likes three things more than anything else. He loves justice, mercy, and walking humbly with him. And right there, I see two of those things, and I think God provides the mercy. He wanted wisdom to rule his people justly. And God says, because you want this, and you didn't ask for honor or glory or riches or splendor, I'm going to give all that to you anyways. You're going to have more of that than any king before you and any king after. And that's how much God loves wisdom. I, I thought that was a really important detail because sometimes we build God up in our head like we know what he's like, like we know what his likes and dislikes are. Somebody said one time that what we can do is we, we take ourselves and then multiply it to like the nth degree, and that's God for us. That's who we see God as. But right here we get to see God's heart where he, he, he loves wisdom. He, he's, he's the embodiment of wisdom. The New Testament says that Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He loves wisdom and he loves justice. And so because Solomon asks for this thing that God loves, he's going to give it to him and he's going to give even more than that, which shows another character of God, which is he's generous. You can't outgive God. He's just so generous. It says in the New Testament too that, that he is more than we could ask for, think, or imagine, which is wonderful because the gods I've thought of for a long time were pretty terrible. There was a long time where I thought, like, if I wanted love, I had to perform. That's how you get love. But that's not how this God works at all. He works the exact opposite. He loves you because he made you. And we're going to get into something special that he made us for, too, um, with the story of the temple. So with the temple, they build this temple. They, they put gold all over the walls. They, they get this place called the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in the temple. There was one in the tabernacle, too, so they got one in the temple. And it's coated with, I think it said 600 talents of gold. I don't even know what the weight on that is, but talents a lot. It's like, and, and, and it's, it's a, just a shiny, shiny, heavy room. And they put some cherubim uh, up in there. And then the priests come in with the Ark of the Covenant to put it in the holiest of holy places. And uh, so they put this sign of God's promise to, uh, to protect, let's see, it was protect, uh, rule, and feed Israel. Anybody know what the three things that were in the covenant, or the Ark of the Covenant were? Just off the top of their head? Aaron's staff? Yep, and the tablet from the Ten Commandments. And so right there we see in this box that God had them make, God's promise to protect them, Aaron's rod, to feed them the manna from heaven, and then to rule them. Ten Commandments. And the Ark of the Covenant being with them was a symbol of God's presence there. Joshua even said before they came into the promised land, he said, something's going to happen tomorrow so you know the living God will be with you, that he is with you. And that's the story that God wanted to tell these people, that the living God is with them, that he's real, that he's, that he's alive, and that he likes things. <laughs> he loves things. So they build it. They put the, the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holy room that's super shiny. 
super heavy, full of gold, and then they walk out, and there's a bunch of priests, like 120 priests that have like trumpets and some cymbals and some singers, and basically their job was just to sound real good, like sing a song and sound real good. We're going to praise the Lord. And so they get two lines out. The lines are, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's all they get out. And it says, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Anybody know what glory means? Just out of curiosity, anybody? Huh? Weightiness, heaviness. I'm going to read that again. So the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. The heaviness. These guys literally cannot stand up. It's like we're just singing worship up here, and all of a sudden, like, Stephen, Hannah, and Adela just, like, kind of, like, have to sit down. Like, everything gets heavy. And there's actually a time when I was doing one of my Bible schools through YWAM in Spain. We're just sitting there going through one of the classes, and a teacher, Holy Spirit was talking to him, just kind of like stops at the end and says, Father, would you let your glory fall in this room right now? And the air got heavy. It was like I was moving my hands and it was heavy. It was harder for me to move through. I couldn't just move through. The girl sitting next to me was down on her desk like this and couldn't get up for like 10 minutes. Like, this stuff is real. The heaviness of God is a real thing. And when he brings it, it's tangible and it affects us. And it's in the temple. This is in the temple that this is happening. They got two lines out. And the lines were, this is important. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. There's another thing we see about God. He's good. He's good. It pleases him for us to know that he is good. And what is good about him? His steadfast love endures forever. Some translations say his unfailing love endures forever. His love lasts forever. That is longer than I can imagine. So after this, and the, the priest kind of like, ah, get out of the temple. At least I'm assuming, because that stuff can be heavy. Solomon blesses the people. The king Solomon blesses the people. And he says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the assembly of Israel. Now before that, does anybody remember what he told David, his dad, when his dad wanted to build him a temple? <laughs> well, I was thinking more specifically about the part where God points out to him, like, all the years I lived with my people, I never asked for a tent. I never asked for a house to put me in. I'm bigger than all that. Job even says, like, God is bigger than the universe, than the, all the heavens. Like, that's the enormity of God. And so it's rather arrogant for us to think that we could fit him in our pocket, <laughs> you know? Compared to God, like, a house is just the exact same way. There was somebody... Uh, who was during worship, not, not here, this is somewhere else, uh, and was like, God, thank you for being just my own personal God, just this, my little 
God that I have with me all the time. And like, I think that thought's offensive to God in some regard. Now he's merciful, but he's not small. And he's not your God because you just picked him. He's your God because he chose you. Just like this temple, the city of Jerusalem wasn't special because it said, you know what, we're going to worship Yahweh. We're going to worship God. It was special because God chose it to be special. He had purpose for it. There was a place for him in that city that he saw and wanted to be in. Not just for him, but the promise to Abraham was that he would bless all the nations through him. Through his offspring, through his descendants. And we get to reap the benefit of that. Now this temple that was picked for this spot is is covered in gold. And Solomon very wisely says, God, we have not given to you anything that you did not already give us. We're giving to you out of your own hand. He's seeing that, he's like, we are not special, except that you picked us. That's it. That's the only thing that made it, that qualified us to be your people, is that you said you're going to make us your people. Now, Solomon prays a couple of things, but one of the things that really sums it all up, um, there, are two, there are two parts to this. The first part uh, is that Solomon asks that this house would bear the Lord's name. That this house, this temple that, that they had built for God would bear the Lord's name so that all would see, so that, that when there was injustice, justice could be done there. When, when they had sinned against God, that they could turn and repent with their whole... Repent just means turn around. Metanoia, 180 degree turn. That they could stop going the way they were going and turn back to God. They could, they could, they could use this, this building as a visual for that in their own hearts. And Solomon prays, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, And give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive. And repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. The land where they're slaves to which they were carried captive, and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers in the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place." They sing a song after that, and immediately after they finish this prayer, it says, as soon as Solomon finished this prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord. It filled the house. The next day, The next day, God says to Solomon, he answers this prayer, not just with the fire, not just with his glory, but he comes to Solomon and personally talks to him and says, when I shut up the heavens 
so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, yes, if they are called by my name and they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. That's amazing. This is some serious stuff. God promises this to Solomon, that when people go astray, when his people that are called by his name turn from their own ways, confess their sin, and cry out to God in a land that is not their own, when they're starving because of what they've done, he says he'll forgive them and he'll heal their land. We need healing in our land. We can, we can answer this promise with, with our own cries, asking for healing. Now, I want to connect this to the New Testament, too, because there's more significance. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. Back at the beginning, we had a promise to Abraham. That's what we had. We had a promise to Eve that a son, would, that a, a son of hers would come and crush the enemy's head. After that, we had a promise to Abraham, the promise to Abraham that, that he would bless the nations through him. And then after that, we have the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments and God's promise to Moses and then through Moses to all of Israel. And then after that, God's promise looked like this, that his dwelling would be in this house. And so that's what God's promise looked like back then. This is, this is all the different stages of God's promise and how it's looked. Now I want to jump ahead to Jesus. Jesus was being accused by the priests. He was arrested and he's standing trial and a witness comes forward and accuses Jesus and said, This man said, I am able to destroy this temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus says, Tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. But what he's talking about is his body. He's referring to his body. They kill him. And three days later, he's raised back from the dead, claiming victory over death, taking care of all the sins of all mankind. But what's interesting is he refers to his own body as a temple. And we see here from the Old Testament that the temple is the place where God's heaviness dwells. Even his presence. Throughout the Bible, his glory is, is referred to as light. When the angels appear to the shepherds, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. His light lives within the temple and his light lives within Jesus. We see at Jesus' baptism, he's baptized. And then the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. If you guys don't know what the Holy Spirit is, it's, to, to make it easy, it's essentially God's presence. God's presence who, who leads us. Jesus promises to send him as a comforter, um, as a teacher of all things. And it also says later in, I believe it's Galatians, First uh, Corinthians, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. Our bodies are temples that the Holy Spirit lives in. As soon as we accept that Jesus died for our sins, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And he sees us as that temple of gold 
We're so much more valuable than we think we are. We think that we're just another speck of dust. You know, I, I think really the, the thing that we think about when we think of our bodies is from dust I came and from dust I shall return. But that's only part of it. The way God sees us right now, living human beings, we are full of him. He came to live with us, just like in the temple, where people couldn't stand because of his weight. He lives with us today in us. This is biblical. And this is what his promise looks like now. This is how he's blessing us right now through Abraham and the world. He lives within us. We are all temples of the Holy Spirit, of God's presence. And we don't get to determine what that looks like. He decides what that looks like. And we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know what crazy things he wants to lead us down. Maybe we'll just live a quiet life like Paul says to do. Do what you can to live a quiet life. But the Holy Spirit is alive and God is alive and he's in us. This is real. And this is the fulfillment of his promise. The temple wasn't just a building. Back then, like I said, that's, that's what it looked like. That's what God's promise looked like. Now I want to read something, lastly, out of John 17. Anybody know what uh, John 17 is? It's also called, uh, anybody? The High Priestly Prayer. Thank you, thank you, Elias. I'm going to pray this over us, and there's something specific that stood out to me when I was reading this earlier. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and just so you know, that's what, that's what Solomon did too. When he was praying, it says that he lifted up his hands and his eyes to heaven. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the one only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before this world existed. You have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. You have manifested your name. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. The temple was a place where God's name was put on display. Where everybody could look and say, this is where God is. And Jesus lived it out. Jesus. <laughs> he was the temple, the first temple of the Holy Spirit. Before the Holy Spirit would come and rest on people. But I don't think there's anywhere that says he lived in him. Jesus was the first temple of this flesh filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He says, I have put your name on display. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me. That's the fulfillment of the promise. This temple, this picture was first Jesus, and now we get to be like him. We get to have the Holy Spirit living in us too. There's a verse that popped up yesterday on my phone. It's an encouraging verse. And if we're lucky, we'll get some music to go with it because that's how my app works. Yes, there we go. This verse is from Galatians. It's Galatians 2.20. 
And this is Paul writing to these people that had given up the good news that Jesus was this temple that died so that we could all be filled with God and live with him forever in the holiest of holy places. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. That life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We might live in the flesh, but we can live by faith now. Before they couldn't do that, before they had to figure it out on their own, or have a prophet tell them, or a judge, or just wait till somebody came along, and wait till Jesus came along to put it on display and make everything understood. But now we may live by faith that's overcome the flesh, because we've already been crucified with Christ. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are crucified with Christ. And now we have the opportunity to live by faith. If you are feeling tonight like you don't have that ability, like you're constricted, like there's something in your life that's keeping you from, from following him, the way that he's promised you to, to dwell in this temple so powerfully that it knocks people down, please let somebody know. Let a leader know. Let a friend here know. And we'll pray with you and we'll, and we'll, and we'll see what God wants to say about that. Um, so that's, that's what we have for tonight for the message. Um, I'll close this up with a prayer and then go over what the next step is. Father, would you glorify Jesus tonight? Would you show us your face like we need to see it, like we've never seen it before? I pray that you would unify us, that we wouldn't settle for just, for just agreeing on things, but we'd be one as you and the Father are one, just like it says in John 17. That's pretty intimate. And something tells me if we're not willing to, to let that consuming fire, that light, burn away the stuff you want to burn away, you might not get all of you. We ask for your hope that this is true in times when we have a hard time believing it and we think that all we are is a bag of meat. We're so much more than that to you. And you promised it to us and you're fulfilling that promise in being loving forever and loving mercy. Amen.